Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. It is an honor to get to, to teach the Word of God to you today. And so if you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 2. God, you sound so much more spiritual when you have like keyboard behind you, don't you? You just sound like Barry White. I just feel like I could, some of you are like, who is that? Well, ask the older people sitting next to you. Um, we are beginning a, a collection of teachings, a series of teachings called Make Room, as Pastor Brian said. Uh, this week, I have a particular assignment that we're going to unpack for a moment. And then next week, you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to be talking about making room for a miracle. And I really believe that if you're, if you're just, de- maybe you're desperate for a miracle in a specific area of your life, I, I'm going to pray all week long uh, for you and for our time together. And I'm going to be back next weekend and I'm going to, I'm going to be sharing from God's word about how Jesus still does miracles today. Uh, he, he, I just believe it. He does miracles today. And so if you're believing God for something, come back next week and really is giving pastor Brian two weeks off because Christmas service, he's going to preach the best Christmas message you've ever heard in your life. No pressure. You tell everybody that I'm your favorite preacher. Well, he's going to preach the best Christian Christian should be Christian Christmas <laughs> message you've ever heard. No pressure, pastor Brian. But anyway, um, we're beginning this, this set of teachings called Make Room, and it's really based off of this one verse that Pastor Brian and I, or these two verses Pastor Brian and I were kind of talking through in the last few months. It says in Luke chapter 2, uh, cataloging the kind of the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, it says, while they were there in Bethlehem, uh, meaning Mary and Joseph, they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth to her baby, her firstborn son, her first son was born. She put cloth around him and laid him in a place where cattle are fed. There was no room for them in the place where people stay for the night. Another translation, uh, the Passion translation says it like this. There was no available space. There was no available space in any upper room in the village. It, it paints this picture that Mary and Joseph were really kind of vagabonds going throughout this community looking for, is there, is there someone that has room for us? Is there someone that would make space for our baby to be born? And I love what Max Licato, he, he's written about this. He says, the mother and father of our Lord were pushed out and rejected. Even before he was born, our Lord was rejected and turned away. The words, no room for you, followed him throughout his life. There was just no room for him anywhere. It is the same in the lives of many people today. He is still being crowded out with all the festivities and all the busyness. He is often just an afterthought. Instead of at a place of honor this time of year, Christ is often shoved into a corner. Even today, there is no room for Jesus. No room for Jesus. And what we're going to discover over the next few weeks, my hope is this, is that we'll discover that when we make room for Jesus, our lives will never be the same. That when we create space, available space, not just a little margin in our lives, but when we open up every, every space and place of our life, our marriage, our finances, our sexuality, the areas where we desire freedom in our life, all these areas, when we open up our lives and say, I invite you, Jesus, I have room for you in my life. I'm not shoving you to the corner or to the back of the room. I'm not pushing you to the peripheral of my life, but I'm opening up my life saying, come, Jesus, have your way. When we live our lives open, open spaces and places like that for Jesus, it will radically transform your experience in this life. 
And so the reason why I believe it does this is because Jesus, Jesus comes with so many benefits for the believer. Now that's not why we follow him. We follow him because he's worthy to be followed. But the byproduct of having Jesus in your life is that everything that he has, that he possesses, you're now, the Bible calls you a co-heir with Christ, that his inheritance is your inheritance. And so if his inheritance is peace, you get peace. If it's joy, you get joy. If it's freedom, you, you get everything. You can live the life of Jesus when you embrace him and, and bring him into your life and open up space for him in your life. There are divine benefits, beautiful benefits, peace, joy, freedom. There's, there's these unbelievable things, patience that it comes through, through this activity of Jesus in our lives when we open up our lives to him. And um, I want to talk to you for a few moments about one of those aspects, that when we make room for Jesus, we're creating capacity and space for peace. I can't think of a better topic to talk about than peace during the days that we live in today. You know, 400 years before Jesus was actually born, there was a prophetic word that came through the prophet Isaiah, and he, he said this about the Messiah that would one day come. This is 400 years before Jesus. He says, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You know that Jesus, one of his street names is Prince of Peace. That's strong. I came from the South. We have nicknames in the South. Everybody's got a nickname. Nobody goes by their real name. It's like, if you're from the South here, you know what I'm talking about. I grew up, people call me Tweezy. Like, what is that even? Do I, do I need to, what is, Tweezy, Tweezy. They call me Tweezy, J Tweezy. It's like, I don't even know what that even means, but people call me that and I responded to it. We call my mom, my mom has red hair. We call her Mama Red. Everybody calls my mom, Mama Red. Pastor Brian calls her Mama Red. Everybody calls her Mama Red. It's crazy. My boys, they call, they call my mom Honey. They don't say Granny or Grandma. They, they call her Honey. Her name is Honey. She's sweet as Honey. Pastor Brian and I, we have this thing. I don't know where we even got it from. Uh, first thing when I saw him last night when, I, when we arrived, he said, Jimmy, what's up? He calls me Jimmy, and I call him Jimmy. We don't even know why. I call him Jimmy Cromer. I'm Jimmy Laird. And like, I don't even know if I know a Jimmy other than you. You're Jimmy. It's like, why do we do this? Jesus, though, Jesus was known as the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Why did they call him that? Why do they call him the Prince of Peace? You know, the Bible, from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelations, it talks about peace 329 times. That, that should let us know that it's probably pretty important. It's a pretty important topic to talk about. I think the reason why scriptures refer to peace and talk about peace so much is because in the very core of our identity and the fibers of who we are as creation, I believe that we long for peace. You know why? Because at creation, everything was in perfect peace. In the Garden of Eden, it was perfect. Perfect union with God. I mean, there was no arguing and fighting. Adam and Eve were not, not arguing over the color of the cabinets. Like they, they weren't arguing and fighting. There, there's no war. There's no, there's no tension. There's no, there's, there's no conflict. It was just perfect peace. And then sin enters the world. And the world becomes broken. And the depravity of man and, and this downward spiral of humanity begins to lose its peace. And conflict enters. And war enters. And anger and hate and all these things as a result of sin. And humanity causes this lack of peace. And what we're constantly longing for is, is for, for Eden really to be restored. We're constantly longing for peace to be restored. Peace in our marriage. Peace. We, we don't want to see wars happening all over our world. We want peace. We desire it. It's because it's been hardwired on the inside of us. 
And that's why the Bible talks so much about it. And there will come a day when Jesus will return for his church and he'll wipe away every tear from your eye and we'll be back to this perfect place of peace. But for now, we live here. And for now, we have Republicans and Democrats and we have racial unrest and we have, we have wars globally and we have opinions and we have so many things and we can live in this place of such great tension. And it's not just the world around us, it's actually the world within us. We have anxiety and worry and stress and fear. There's so much of it today. You know, if you think about it, the opposite of peace is anxiety and worry and fear and stress. Anxiety, the New Testament Greek word is marimna, which means to care, to be anxious, or to worry. Its root word literally means, listen to this, divided in pieces, no longer whole as one. It means to be separated, to literally be torn apart. You can be so writhed with anxiety, it's like a tearing on the inside of your soul. It also means to be distracted. That, that is that your, your, your thoughts are so consumed with what you're anxious about or worried about that it's distracting you and pulling you away and you can't even focus on the present person that's in front of you. You're distracted. You can't focus on your wife or your children because you're, you're anxious about something over here that is tearing you and dividing you and separating you in here and you're no longer whole. Out of 14 nations research about anxiety, America ranked number one. Oh, we're winning. We're winning, guys. We live in a world of worry. And everyone worries about something at some point in your life. Either you have been worrying about something, you're not anymore, you're currently worrying about something, or you probably will worry about something at some point. You see, some people worry so much that sometimes when they have nothing worrying in them, they get worried that something they should worry about is about to happen. There's people in my family, for sure. What is it? Worry, worry when you do this this study of the etymology of the word. It comes from this old English word. It literally means worry means to strangle or to choke. Have you ever noticed how anxiety and worry, it, it, it has this, this tendency to literally to choke the joy out of life. It will choke the joy out of Christmas this season. If we let anxiety and stress and worry have its way and run our lives. How fitting is that? That the word literally means to strangle or to choke. It's interesting when, when anxiety or worry get the best of you, it can take you to a place where you can have a, pa- a panic attack. And one of the symptoms of having a panic attack, panic attack is you feel like you can't breathe. It's like it's choking you. It's so interesting. But have you noticed that there's so many different things that we can worry about? We have this proclivity to worry about things like our finances, worry about the debt you haven't been able to pay off and worry how you're going to pay your bills, worry about financial security for your future, worry about retirement. We worry about our health. Will the report come back positive or negative? Is it COVID or is it just allergies? What is this pain that I've been feeling? Then we go to WebMD, makes it even worse, right? It's like, why do we do that to ourselves? We worry about our family. Will I ever get married? Do they really love me? We worry, are they going to leave me? Can we have kids? Then we get pregnant. Then we worry, are we going to be able to afford it? Then we worry if the pregnancy is going to have complications. Like we can, we can let worry in our thoughts, this battlefield go crazy in our mind. We worry about our career. We worry about our calling. Sometimes we can even worry about our relationship with God. Does he really, are we, are we good? Is he mad at me? Is he pleased with my proverbial performance religiously? And we can worry about so many things. Here's my disclaimer, though, before we unpack some very theological and practical things. Is I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm just a pastor. And I don't say that in a demeaning way. I'm just telling you that I don't know everything there is to know about a complex subject as, uh, about anxiety or, or stress or worry. But I do know that the Bible talks about it. 
But one of the other things that I know is that there's some things that are spiritual, there's some things that are clinical, and there's some things that are practical. That is that there's some things that the Bible actually addresses and that it's spiritual things. There's, there's a tormenting spirit the Bible talks about and addresses that. There is an oppressive spirit in the Bible. There's a spirit of fear the Bible talks about, a spirit of timidity. There's so many things that are spiritual in the Bible that we can gain insights and truths and revelation from God's word. And we can deal with the spiritual things with spiritual warfare. The Bible talks about that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. So there are spiritual things. So make no mistake about that. But there's some things that are not spiritual. They're clinical. Like there's, I have this phrase, there's not a demon under every rock, right? You ever met those Christians who are like super Christians? They like think every, they blame everything on the devil. It's like, I, I can't find my keys. I'm trying to go to the church. That's the devil. No, you lost your keys. You, 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 you don't have a system. That's what I tell my wife all the time. You need a system. If you have a system, this is not spiritual. This is, this is a systems issue, right? Not everything's spiritual. Some things are actually clinical. There are some things that are clinical. I've done plenty of research on anxiety, even preparing for this. I don't have time to go into all those stats, but there's some things that are not circumstantial anxiety. They're actual, it's clinical anxiety. There are things that are just, they're just not functioning. There's imbalances in our, in, in our body. There's some things that are clinical. There's some things though that are not clinical or spiritual. They're just practical. They're saying practical things or practices that we can have in our life that can actually help us receive peace and walk in peace. And we let, we let God do what he wants to do. Let doctors do what they've been empowered to do. And let us take responsibility for what we can do. Can somebody say amen? But Jesus comes on the scene and he says this as the Prince of Peace. He says, I am leaving you with a gift. He's speaking, by the way, in the context of his group of followers that he has just told, I'm about to leave. And I'm leaving you with the assignment that I started. You'll, you'll complete this assignment they begin to freak out. They begin to have anxiety and fear. They're troubled. And so Jesus says, I'm about to leave. I'm leaving you. And I'm going to leave you with a gift though. Peace of mind and heart. Look at this. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. There is a peace that Jesus gives that is different from the peace that the world gives. There is a, a special peace a unique, a sacred peace that, that Jesus gives as a gift to us that will guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus that's different from the peace of the world. And, and the peace of the world is not always bad things. Like job security, that's the peace of the world. Financial security, that's the peace of the world. And I want a piece of that, okay? I want financial security. You've got, you've got life insurance. You've got retirement. Those are not bad things. I have all those things. But that is not the peace of Jesus. That is the peace of the world. And what we've discovered if you look back through history, that all those things, a lot of them, they can be taken and shaken and pulled away from your life. But what Jesus gives an eternal peace, it's a covenant of peace. It's an everlasting peace. It's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that the world cannot give. And it's a peace that the world cannot take away. This is the, the peace that Jesus gives. When you begin to study the word peace in the Bible, when you look in the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, you see the word shalom. When you look in the New Testament written in Greek, you see the word irene. Shalom is a very beautiful word. It means, it's very complex, but it means whole. Like if you were to look at a, a pie, which I'm going to look at a lot of pies this Christmas, okay? If you look at a pie, the pie does not have a piece missing. The pie is whole. After I get a hold of it, it will have many pieces missing, okay? But it's whole. Shalom is whole. It's wholeness. It's welfare and it's well-being. But in scripture, it illustrates shalom many times as, 
as, uh, as something like with restitution or restoration, uh, there's a picture in the Old Testament of a person that owns a herd of cattle and one of the cattle gets stolen away and now it's missing. It is missing its shalom. It's no longer whole. And for restitution, uh, restitution has been called upon. And so the person has to come and restore and repay that which was stolen to equal value or greater value. That is bringing the shalom back to that person's property. This, you see it illustrated like this in the Old Testament. Um, a wall that has been built, but now a chunk of it is missing and has been broken down. There's a gap in the wall or a bridge that's been built, but there's a portion of it that has fallen. It's, it's, it's broken and it's, there, there's, there's a gap there. And for shalom to come is to come and rebuild and restore that which has been broken. Do you see where this begins to give us the language for what we receive in Christ? It's also an illustration of a relationship that there's been an offense, there's been a conflict, and, and now one person is so mad at the other, they say, I'm, I'm not going to be in a relationship with you anymore, and there's a separation of the relationship. They're now estranged, but when shalom comes, it's this, is that they, they're brought back into a restored relationship, and their relationship is not just the same, it's actually better than what it was before. This is Shalom. But the New Testament Greek, it means one. It means peace, quietness, and rest. But it originates from a root word, aro, which means to join together, to unite, to tie together. And what you need to know about Jesus is Jesus. In the Old Testament, it, it, is, it is pointing us towards Jesus. The New Testament is pointing back towards Jesus. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. All culminating in the person and the work of Jesus. And Jesus, he becomes the personification of shalom and irony for the people of God. This is who Jesus is. That is part of the gospel is that the person and the work of Jesus brings us something as the Prince of Peace. And he gives us as the people of God something that the world cannot give us. And it's this. It's peace with God. Peace with God. Romans chapter 5 says this. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. Do you understand what that is? Second Corinthians 5 21 says he, Jesus who knew no sin, he became sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. It's the great exchange. This is what Jesus does for us. And he gives us God. He gives us his righteousness, which means right standing with God. And look what it says. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us and now declares us flawless in his eyes. Listen to me. If you're in Christ Jesus today, I don't care what last week was like for you as far as if you made a mistake or if even yesterday you did. When God looks at you, you know what he sees? Jesus. Because you are in Christ Jesus, you're justified just if I'd never sinned. You are flawless and perfect. You're the beloved of God. Not because you earned it or you deserve it. Listen, you cannot earn your salvation any more than a spider web can stop a fallen rock. Like it just, it can't happen. The only thing you can contribute to your salvation is your sin that makes it necessary. There is nothing we can do, but it's because of Jesus we can have a union and relationship with God, which is peace with God, which is different from the peace of God. And I'll explain it. He goes on and he says, this means this. We can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one has done for us. This is peace with God. Irene, it's the rest, restoration of a relationship that was broken the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that it was God in Christ Jesus reconciling the world back to God, not counting their sins against them. This is the work of our Prince of Peace. He gives us peace 
with God. We're no longer estranged. We're no longer orphans outside of a gate. We're no longer enemies of the cross. We are sons and daughters of God, all because of what the Prince of Peace has done for us. I love that. And here's why it's important that you catch this. Don't miss this. You'll never have the peace of God until you first receive peace with God. You see, peace with God explains our status of a relationship. We're now, we're now in relationship with God. But the peace of God is now what's been afforded to us that's an internal, internal interior shalom. It's a wholeness. Not divided, not anxious, not worried, not fearful, not stressed, but a place of perfect peace, knowing that, that he is our good, good father and that he loves us and cares for us. I'll never forget growing up in church. I had a crazy kind of experience with church. My, my parents were pastors and my dad kind of went sideways. He had some issues that he never dealt with and eventually they began to deal with him and he had multiple affairs and became physically abusive and my mom lived in a battered women's shelter. I live with my high school football coach. And it was just a crazy time. And I was 15 years old. And I kind of threw the proverbial middle finger to God and the church and religion. And it's like, I don't want anything to do with this. And I walked away from God. And I began to resist God and fight against God. Literally, I was like, I want nothing to do with, with church, with this institution or this religion or any of this. Because if God would allow that, then who is he? And I began to be a very angry, bitter person. But you know, one of the things that I, I began to discover really quick was whenever you're when you're resisting God, it's hard to have any sense of peace. I had no sense of peace. But when I was 18 years old, I surrendered my life to Jesus. And I just said, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done doing this on my own. I'm messing my life up. Jesus, I need you. And I received him as my Lord, as my Savior. And the relationship that was estranged and broken was restored and rebuilt, not as it was, but even better than I could ever imagine. And guess what happened? As I received peace with God, I began to receive the peace of God. All of a sudden, I was, I was at peace with how he created me. I begin to discover I'm at peace with the life that, that I have right now. I'm at peace with, with the circumstances that I'm walking through. I'm at, I begin to receive the peace of God because I was now at peace with God. And you'll never receive the peace of God until you first receive peace with God. Now, here's the thing. That is the prince of peace, the, really the starting point and the foundation for what we, we can receive, the peace of God. That is the starting point. But do you know that there are principles that we can put in practice in our life? as followers of Jesus that will help us stay in that place of peace. I love the word principle because it actually comes from the root word prince. And do you know that you cannot separate principles of peace from the prince of peace? Like they actually work together in unison. It's so beautiful. And I want to share this with you because earlier this year, I had an experience in my life. It was very, very challenging. And I, I went to the doctor because I was experiencing so much anxiety. That's why I'm passionate about this topic. I was experiencing so much anxiety and stress, and I've never experienced that in my life. It was the strangest thing. I was like, I don't know if it's because I'm turning 40. Is this what midlife crisis is? What is this? Should I buy a Corvette? You know, it's like, <laughs> who does that? Anyway, if you have a Corvette, God bless you. Um, and so I went to the doctor and I was like, I don't know what's happening. I'm like, feel really stressed out and anxious and worried. And I've got some big decisions I need to make, but this is heavy. And he said, well, has anything changed in your life, your diet and your working out and sleep patterns or whatever? And I was like, man, nothing has changed in my life. And as soon as I said it, the Lord was like, you know, there's three things that have changed in your life. There's three practices that you've drifted from. 
And if you'll just return to these practices in your life and apply these principles, you'll experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. I want to share those with you for just the last few moments that we have. The first one is this, the principle of focus. The principle of focus. Have you ever noticed that whatever you focus on gets larger and bigger? You focus on your problem. You focus on your circumstances. You focus on your issues. You magnify them. Listen, they will overwhelm you. That's why Philippians 4 says it like this. Don't worry about anything. Sounds very insensitive, right? The apostle Paul would be the worst counselor ever. Like, hey, what are you worried about? You know, stop it. You ever saw that Saturday Night Live thing? Stop it. Stop it. Like, don't worry. He can say this with moral authority because he's writing it from a jail cell. He's not sipping on a Mai Tai on a cruise, okay? He does not know what his outcome will be. But he says, guys, you got nothing to worry about. Instead, pray about everything. It's interesting. Prayer is a lot of times our last resort, but it should be our first response to the problems we face. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. I think there's a couple ways you can interpret that. Thank him for all he's done. Remember how faithful he's been. But you know, even a better understanding of this when you read the original language is this, is when you make your petition, when you make your prayer request before God, wrap it in thanksgiving and praise and thank him for whatever the outcome may be. God, I need you to do this in my life, but I'm thankful that you're a good father and you have a better plan. You know things that I don't know. And so I'll trust you. He goes on and he keeps saying this. He says, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And everyone usually stops there. They never read the next few verses, but I think they're just as important. And now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. As if Paul's like, oh yeah, famous last words. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy and worthy of praise. Keep putting them into practice. All these things that you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, then God, God, the God of peace will be with you. You know what he's saying? You got to fix your focus. The principle of focus is you got to make sure you're not focusing on negative things, critical things, cynical things, the media, fix your focus on beautiful things, lovely things, things that are praiseworthy. I begin to get so anxious when we were pregnant with our daughter, Novi because we had some friends that had a daughter or had a son that, that had some medical challenges during the pregnancy. It was very challenging. I began to fix my thoughts on that and I began to worry, well, what if something's wrong with Novi? What if she has a hole in her heart? What if she's got a genetic mouth? I mean, I, my mind went to a crazy place. How many know where the mind goes, the man follows? I just began to focus on all these things. Some things were not true. Some things were like, I've just created these, these vain imaginations. And all of a sudden, one night, as I was getting anxious, laying in my bed, the Lord was like, you need to fix your focus. Like, Jason, you tell people to do this all the time. You need to smoke what you're selling, my man. It's like, come on. I was like, okay. So I literally just did this. I literally just, just said, okay, God, I'm anxious. Um, but I want to imagine this. I imagine Novi having beautiful blonde hair that's curly with blue eyes. She's going to look like me. Sorry, smiling. And then I was like, I imagine putting together her baby crib in a room and it being real pretty and maybe a little bohemian chic, you know. I started getting happy just thinking about that. And then I started thinking about her walking down the aisle, getting married. And then I got really anxious. <laughs> I got stressed out. It's like, God, we're not going there. When she's, maybe when she's 50, I'll give her away, but I'm going to hold, hold on to her till then. But you know what's interesting is I literally begin to sense peace and joy 
just, and it was not like I was declaring and decreeing and running up and down and blowing a shofar. It was none of that. Like I just began to think and contemplate on things that were true and lovely and beautiful, noble and praiseworthy. The peace of God began to come. See, the Prince of Peace was always there. Just kind of like, I've got peace available, but you're just not doing your part. I've done my part. You need to do your part. Fix your focus. The second one, I don't have time to go into it, but Jesus talked to his disciples and I think it was Luke 12. He talks about trust. He says, the issue with your worry, he's like, don't worry, don't be anxious. He's like, don't let that enter your heart. He was like, the issue is this, is you don't trust that your father cares about you. You don't trust that he knows every detail of your life and that he cares. He's like, guys, he was like, why are you worried about these things like the rest of the world? Live above that, he says to his disciples. How many know that we're called to live above the common worries and anxieties of this world? Why? Because we can cast all of our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. We got to trust that he knows and he cares. Listen to me, single mom. God knows what you're walking through and he cares. This church cares. That's part of how you know God cares because this church cares for you. God knows and he cares and we can trust him. The last one is this, is the, is the principle of, of, of presence. The principle of presence. See, oftentimes it's the presence of problems or perceived problems that rob us of our peace. And then we can begin to believe, listen to me, that in order for us to have peace, our problems need to go away and not be present anymore. But here's what I'm discovering. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. It's found in the presence of Jesus. Mary and Martha, remember that one? Martha, she was so anxious. Mary, she's a non-anxious presence. Why? Because she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's in his presence that we find the peace that we long for. If you're dealing with some anxiety and fear and worry or stress this week, I just encourage you. When's the last time you spent a little bit of time in his presence? Not just Sunday morning for 30 or 45 minutes or an hour, but that, man, maybe you're carving five minutes or 10 minutes out in the morning and you're just turning on some worship. Man, you're just praising God. Get in your car on the way to work. People may think you're crazy. Listen, I do this all the time. Just turn up that worship and just start leading like you're, like you're this crew. Up and just start going for it. You may get some looks. I'm going to tell you that right now. People may look at you like you're crazy, but get into his presence. You can walk into your office with a non-anxious presence filled with the joy of the Lord. Why? Because you've been in his presence. When you get in his presence, it changes everything. I just begin to put these simple practices back in my life and I begin to experience the peace of God in such a beautiful way. I'll finish with this. I read this story this past week and it was great. In 1873, a Christian businessman in Chicago wrote a song that many of you may know, but you may not know the background of the inspiration of this song. Horatio Spafford, he had two really tragic events that happened in his life around that time. One was his four-year-old son tragically died in 71, 1871. And then also the Chicago fires that happened and it destroyed him financially. He, he was a real estate investor and he lost all of his real estate. Filing for bankrupt, has, he's lost everything. He was a follower of Jesus though. And it was right at the time. I mean, the circumstances around him, is, it, it was really bad. And yet at the same time, he was partnering with a man, famous evangelist named D.L. Moody. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Pretty big deal. And he was an evangelist to Europe and spent a lot of time in England doing crusades and just preaching the gospel of Jesus. And and Horatio decided to partner with him to see people one to Christ. So he, he planned a trip to go to London and to spend time with D.L. Moody and to bring his family with him, his wife and his four daughters. But he sent them ahead on a ship before him and he had to stay in Chicago to do 
some final business deals. He received this telegram from his wife that just said, saved only. And then it goes on to, to tell, it goes on to tell Horatio that the ship that they were sailing on hit another, struck another vessel um, and that all four of his daughters, they drowned to death. And so Horatio, he's, his heart is just broken. He's lost his son, now his four daughters, his business, he's lost everything. He gets in the ship and he decides to go to meet his grieving wife, to, to just grieve with her. And history tells us that when he got over the part of the waters where his daughters drowned, that he began to, to worship the Lord and he penned these words to this song that is famous now. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see, no matter what circumstances you may be facing, it can be well with your soul. Why? Because of the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, we love you. And we just thank you for your son, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. You're in this room through your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that for those that are dealing with anxiety or fear or stress, or worry that as they even hear me speaking that they wouldn't they literally would not hear me but Holy Spirit would you begin to speak your word says in Psalms 29 that you strengthen your people and you bless them with peace strengthen your people today those that need peace God bless them with peace gift them with peace today through your Holy Spirit Maybe it's a decision that they're having to make and they're so anxious that they don't want to make the wrong decision. Give them wisdom, give them peace. Maybe it's the stress of the holidays and just being back around family that maybe they, they don't really have a good relationship with. Right now, I pray for the Prince of Peace to come in. Peace. Galatians 5 says that you, Holy Spirit, you produce in us peace. Produce that right now. We can't conjure it up. We can't manufacture it. We pray for the peace of, peace of God to come. If you're here today and you say, Jason, I'm, I'm not at peace with God. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. But today I want to I give my life to Jesus. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us of anything wrong that we've done. And if that's you today, just in your own way, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I make the decision today to surrender my life to you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Heal me. Give me peace with God. God, I thank you for every person that has just prayed today. And I just believe that in the days to come through your Holy Spirit, you're gonna confirm in their heart through peace like they've never known before. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com slash prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. 
For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at Queen City People.